I think it's really appropriate that we baptize these children today. Um, it is, after all, the beginning of the year, and their baptism is the beginning of their lives as Christians. And it's also the season of Epiphany, the time when we look at the beginning of Jesus' ministry from his baptism on. So it's a really good time to baptize little ones or big ones. Um, when Jesus starts his ministry, each of the Gospels presents that inauguration in a, in a different way. Um, last week we looked at, we read in the Gospel of John about the miracle that inaugurated Jesus' ministry. And this week we are reading in the Gospel of Luke about his inaugural sermon. So after his baptism, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to fast and pray and ponder how he will live out his identity as God's son. When that time of testing and discernment is over, Jesus returns to Galilee to begin his ministry. And as you'll hear, it goes well. Then he decides to go to Nazareth, his hometown. So let's listen. The scripture is in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. That's on page 61 in the New Testament if you want to follow along. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all of the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recover sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he began to say, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If you wanted to reveal who you are and the essence of your purpose in life, what words would you choose? That's exactly what Jesus' sermon in the fourth chapter of Luke does. It reveals who he is and the essence of his life, his purpose, and his ministry. Bear in mind that he doesn't do ministry on his own. Luke tells us that Jesus returns to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And throughout this gospel, we see that the Spirit that descended on Jesus after his baptism will empower his work. And in Nazareth, he's going to claim that power for himself in a very public way. This trip to Jesus' hometown comes in the midst of a successful teaching tour, and I have no doubt that the folks back home are rather amazed by the reports they are hearing. When word gets out that he's going to be in town on the Sabbath, folks are eager to see him, and the synagogue is packed. It's very interesting that Luke records what happens in the synagogue in real time. You can imagine Jesus standing up, and walking to the reading platform, the attendant handing him a large scroll, big scroll, 
Jesus unrolling it and finding the passage for which he is looking. Then we hear the first words that Jesus speaks in this gospel. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This passage is from the 61st chapter of Isaiah, but that last phrase, the year of the Lord's favor, is a reference to a divine command given in Leviticus 25 to ancient Israel. What it tells, Leviticus 25 says is that every 50th year, the seventh year of the seven years, cycle of seven years, is to be a year of liberation and restoration. It's called the year of Jubilee. And in this year, the poor were not to be cheated. Those who were enslaved because of debts were to have their debts forgiven and to be released from bondage. Land that was leased reverted to its original owners or to their heirs, and the land itself was to lie fallow, producing only what it could on its own. So it's a time of rest, of release, of liberation, of freedom. While well, scholars are unsure if this practice was ever actually observed, it was both a way of acknowledging that the land belonged to God and a means of restoring land, which was very important, of course, and freedom, even more important, to those who had lost it. In other words, this practice was designed to create a society in which God's dream of justice for all was lived out. Now, Jesus does modify Isaiah's words a little as he reads. He adds, and recovery of sight to the blind, and omits a reference to a day of divine vengeance, for he has not come to enact retribution, but to bring healing and hope. His choice of this passage both conveys the essence of his ministry and grounds it in the ongoing promises of God. The room is quiet as Jesus hands the scroll back and every eye is on him as he sits in the traditional posture for teaching and preaching. He looks around at this gathering of his neighbors, friends, and relatives, then drops a single sentence into the silence. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today. In a sermon on this passage, Dr. Diana Butler Bass points out that Jesus could have preached on the wisdom of the prophet's vision or encouraged the fragile hopes of his people for its future fulfillment, but he didn't. Instead, he claimed Isaiah's words for his own and made the daring, even audacious claim that this ancient prophecy had been fulfilled today in your hearing. We can see the truth of this statement in the rest of the gospel. Most of Jesus' ministry takes place among the poor, among those who have little worldly wealth, power, or prestige. Healing is given to those oppressed by illness and forgiven is offered to those who've been held captive by their sins. Those who are blind receive their sight and hearts that have been closed to God's presence are opened. 
Everywhere he goes, Jesus demonstrates God's love and favor. Everywhere he goes, people are transformed and salvation comes. Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. As it turns out, the Greek words that we translate has been fulfilled are in the perfect tense, which means that not only has the scripture been fulfilled in the hearing of those who first heard the statement, but also that the effect of that hearing is an ongoing reality, which tells me that this fulfillment continues even now and that this passage is a word for today a word that may be hard to hear. As Dr. Bass says in her sermon, faith communities are often consumed with memories of the past and hopes for the future. Speaking of the past may take the form of maintaining buildings and structures, of teaching ancient texts and passing on patterns of life and values from ancestors. Speaking of the future is often wrapped up in hopes for salvation and eternal life, desires for answered prayers, for the children to hold on to faith or come back to church. Both past and future are important to vibrant communities. Healthy and life-giving practices of honoring our ancestors and embracing a hopeful future derived from the witness of the whole biblical tradition. But both past and future, as the primary location of faith, have their shadow sides. Overemphasizing the past results in nostalgia, the belief that the past is better than either the present or the future, a disposition that is steeped in grief and fear. Overemphasizing the future, the belief that all that matters is that which is to come, often results in thwarted hope, doubt, and anxiety. And then she goes on to describe the concept of today as a deeply dangerous spiritual reality. Because today insists that we lay aside both our memories and our dreams to embrace fully the moment of now. The past romanticizes the work of our ancestors. The future scans the horizons of our descendants and depends on them to fix everything. But today, Today places us in the midst of the sacred drama, reminding us that we are actors and agents in God's desire for the world. Today, she says, is the most radical thing that Jesus ever said. Boy, I can't argue with her. For if we are truly Jesus' followers, then the work that he did is ours to do today. We are to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to let the oppressed go free. We are to proclaim in word and deed God's justice and grace, the year of God's favor. To bring this home a little more, Reverend Janet Hunt suggests that congregation add the word today to their mission statements. Now, our church actually has a mission statement most of you may not want to know what it is because it was created quite a while ago and we just don't use it very often. But this is what it is. We are a warm, caring community of faith gathering to worship God and sharing the love of Jesus Christ through our fellowship and, to, and service to our neighbors and the world. 
Sounds pretty good, right? Kind of mom and apple pie stuff, though, if you really think about it. What if we add a single word? Today, we are a warm and caring community of faith, gathering to worship God and sharing the love of Jesus Christ through our friendship and service to our neighbors and the world. Today, we are warm and caring. Today, we gather to worship God. Today, we share the love of Jesus Christ through our friendship. Today, we share that same love through service to our neighbors and the world. With the addition of that single word, that mom and apple pie mission statement suddenly becomes more urgent, challenging us to demonstrate how we are living out its promise by caring, sharing, serving, and loving, challenging us to show who and whose we are right here and now, today. Now to be sure, we live out this statement in many ways all the time, through United Methodist Women, through their work and their circle gatherings, with volunteers to case and shared bread, through our work with family promise, and as we reach out to one another with prayers and loving gestures. But lest we become too comfortable with that, we need to remember that it is Jesus' mission statement, not ours, that is to be our guide. We are called to bring good news to the poor. That might mean donating money, but it also might mean spending time with someone who is lonely or daring to respond to someone on the street with kindness. We are urged to proclaim release by seeking justice and by letting go of our angers and freeing others and ourselves with forgiveness. We are called, yes, to help the blind by ensuring that they receive medical attention, but also to help others come to see their worth. We are to let the oppressed go free by working for peace, and we are also to do so by letting go of the doubt and self-deprecation that keeps us from truly loving ourselves and thus loving others. We're called to carry out Jesus' work. That may feel a little intimidating, maybe even scary. I mean, we're not Jesus after all. In response to that, I say, remember the words that I said to each child as I baptized them today? The Holy Spirit work within you that being born through water and the Spirit, you may be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. And you responded, through baptism, you are incorporated by the Holy Spirit into God's new creation and made to share in Christ's royal priesthood. When we are baptized, each one of us is anointed by the Spirit. And that means three things, among others, that we are called to share in Christ's mission, that the Spirit will guide and empower us, and that ultimately the work of salvation depends not on us, but on God. That's a pretty good thing, I think. And so today, Jesus stands before us and says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, and therefore also with you. 
because he has anointed us to bring good news to the poor. He has sent us to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he sits down and as translated by the Reverend Nadia Boltz Weber, he says to us, guys, stop looking at me. You have what you need. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. May this be so, not only in our hearing, but in our living. Amen and amen.